Well, good morning, Stonebridge. For those of you who don't recognize me quite yet, I, uh, yeah, you're going to want to grab that because I'll kick it over when I wander. Thanks. <laughs> those of you who haven't quite met me yet, I'm Joey Weber. I'm the new associate pastor here, and we're just, again, just excited to be here and be a part of everything that's been going on in Stonebridge. Um, as we stated last week, we are digging into the three C's of Stonebridge. We're going through a series called The Three C's. And although we call it The Three C's, for some reason in Matt, in his planning and organizational skills, we'll be preaching on it for four weeks. I don't, I don't know how he got four weeks out of three C's, but it's all good. We'll just, just blame Matt. So this series is based on what our church values are. Um, Obreta stated what we, what we feel are vitally important for us as a church body. And actually, as, as Andrea and I were praying about coming here, Matt was sending me sermons on the three C's and sending me the values and all that. And it was a huge part of what brought me here. I just loved these values of celebrate, connect, and contribute, and then how they flesh out logistically. Last week, Matt said that the three C's are the DNA of Stonebridge. I loved that analogy. They are the vital building blocks that make our church unique. They are what make us who we are as a church. Last week, Matt taught us about celebrating and why we celebrate and who we celebrate. We understand that God is loving, that he is faithful, and he is always good. We can't help but celebrate him. And he said that God has created us to celebrate, and we are always celebrating something. We have the choice to either celebrate someone or something that will die and fade, or we can celebrate someone who is eternal and is lasting and that never changes, and that someone is God. So today we're going to turn our attention to our second C, and that is connecting, as you can see. I wanted to show a little video, though, to start our time that I feel it, it kind of encapsulates a lot of churchgoers' mentality nowadays. So if we could play that real quick. So honestly, that video is a little exaggerated. I don't think anybody really goes to six different churches on a Sunday morning. And if you do, I talk to Matt or I or one of the leaders here. We want to help you not have to run around town. Many of us, though, we want to try and get the best of everything. We want a Burger King church. We want to have it our way. We want to get the best of everything. We want to go to one church on Sunday morning because they have the best worship and the best preachers. And then we take our kids somewhere else on Wednesday because they have the best children's ministry. And then during the week, we head off to a book study, whether it be men or women, because we really like the book that they're reading through. And so we're trying to just find the best of everything. Instead of just going somewhere. You know, if you're calling somewhere your church, we need to look at how we can fully invest and fully connect in one place. But what does it truly mean to connect? As I thought about this idea of connecting, I thought about the idea that everyone is desperately craving touch and love. When a child is born into this world, they come out screaming for their mother to hold them. And then later on, when those children are, are sick, they are needing, they're, they're wanting the care of their parents. Half the time, they're lay, when they get hurt on the bicycle driving around, they're just crying, just wanting attention, just wanting the parents to come to them. 
And I know me that once a year when I get sick and I feel like I'm going to die for 24 hours, all I really want is my wife to care for me. And as I sat with my grandfather this past March and I watched him take his last breaths, I saw him reach out his hand just to hold his wife's hand as he was slipping into the next life. From beginning to end, we are all desperately craving the connection, the touch, the love. Now, when I used to be far from Christ, we spent a lot of time at the bars over in Campus Town and stuff. And and that idea of connecting and, and wanting to be loved, it didn't stop just with family structures. Everyone is looking for community. Everywhere I go, I see people trying to find those commonalities. When we used to go to the bar a bunch, we heard questions like, hey, what are you drinking? Do you play pool? Do you play darts? Do you, do you play foosball? Do you play cards? Where are we going for after hours? They just wanted to be connected. Nowadays, I spend some time at the gym, and I still, I still see people trying to connect. What kind of protein powder are you using? Well, my blender bottle has Batman symbol on it. Well, mine has Superman on it. Well, that's pretty cool. What's your current workout plan? What's the class going on in there? I really want to be with those people in that class. How did you manage to lose so much weight? What's your plan? It's over and over again, just trying to find commonalities, trying to connect. They want to connect with others. And I'm sure as you sit there, you can think of places that you frequent as well. As humans, we are created to be in community. You may be sitting there thinking there. As farmers, you can think of the co-op and what's being said at the co-op. As doctors, you may be thinking about what's being said in the lunchroom. Over and over. Teachers, what are you guys talking about? You guys look for commonalities to connect you with the people around you. Genesis 1.26 says, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then jumping over to chapter three, verses eight through 10 says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. We were created to be in perfect community with God and with each other. That's how he intended it. That is God's desire. He longs for that community, for that relationship. He longs for us to be in relationship with him and for us to be in relationship with each other. But sin came in and messed it all up. We think that when problems come into our lives, whether it's sin or it's just struggles we're having in our life, that we need to attack them. We need to run at them head on. We have to do this on our own. That's, that's the mentality nowadays. We have to handle our problems on our own. But alone is exactly where Satan wants you. Alone keeps you vulnerable. Alone gives Satan the chance to speak those lies into your life. Alone can lead to greater sin, greater anxiety, depression, and maybe even worse. Now, I found this quote from 
an author, his name is Wendell Berry, he wrote an essay called The Art of the Commonplace. And he said, people use drugs, legal and illegal, because their lives are intolerably painful or dull. They hate their work and find no rest in their leisure. They are estranged from their families and their neighbors. It should tell us something that in healthy societies, drug use is celebrative, convenial, and occasional, whereas among us, it is lonely, shameful, and addictive. We need drugs, apparently, because we have lost each other. What this author is trying to say is that as humans, we try to fill the whole of community with anything and everything that will numb the pain. I think that he's speaking specifically to Americans as a whole and our individualistic lifestyles. Now, when I was younger, I used to watch a lot of movies, and one of my favorite quotes kind of went with that mentality of being alone. And one of the characters said, I eat because I'm unhappy, and I'm unhappy because I eat. It's a vicious cycle. We mask our problems and cover them with everything from drugs, alcohol, and food to working too much. Where the root of the problem is that you were not made to be alone. You were not made to tackle your problems alone. Christians, we are made to be different. We are, we are destined to be different. The answer is that we as Christians should know that there is a community and a God that is here for us. And I want to focus on that today. There are two main areas that we need to focus on when we discuss connecting. We have a a vertical relationship and a horizontal relationship. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus asked what the greatest commandment is, he gives the man asking two commandments. I always find that funny. You know, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus gives them two. The guy just wanted one and Jesus gives them two. But he's connecting them together. He's saying that each are equally important. Loving the Lord is about our vertical relationship, and loving our neighbor is about our horizontal relationship. This is our model with connecting. We need to focus on both of these when we talk about connecting. One goes with the other. So first, let's look at connecting with God. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. As you guys are turning there, I'll give you a a little preface to what is happening right before we start reading. As verse 19 starts up, you will see that it it starts with therefore. And whenever that is in the text, you can assume that the author has been building towards that therefore. He's been building up to something. He's spent a, a great deal of time and energy informing us of what he wants to say now. And so for the 18 verses in this chapter, the the author of Hebrews has been explaining in an amazing way how Jesus' sacrifice is once for all, for all sins, past, present, and future. The author has been comparing the old sacrificial system of lambs and bulls and offering sacrifices every single time we sin to our new lives in Christ, his once-for-all sacrifice. And even the preceding nine chapters have been pointing to the godliness, the deity of Jesus, and how Jesus is better than Moses. And to the original readers, that was 
That was huge because Moses was huge to the Israelites. And the author is saying Jesus is even better. And he's talking about how Jesus is the great high priest who mediates. And so we keep building on that topic of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And then we get to this passage in Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 20. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As verse 19 starts off, it starts off stating that because of everything else the author has written about, because of the amazing person of Jesus and his work, we can boldly approach the throne of God. Now, some of you, this may not come as too much of a shock. You know, you've been hearing Ren Collective for two years now telling you, boldly I approach your throne. So just so you know, that was the inside joke last week. I'm terrible. But hey, it's a joyful noise, and that's what Jesus tells you to do. Seriously, though, this idea of boldly approaching the throne is huge to the riddle audience. They didn't have that kind of assurance. They didn't have that that, that faith that they could just walk into the presence of Jesus. Before Jesus died, the Israelites had the sacrificial system. They had the temple. And within the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies. And the only person that was ever allowed to enter the Holy of Holies was the, the high priest of the temple. Basically the one that was deemed the leader of the temple. He's the one man that can step into the Holy of Holies. And he can only do it one day a year on the Day of Atonement. And even that one man, the high priest, who could enter the Holy of Holies on that one special day, he was even at risk. So they used to tie a rope around the high priest's leg so that when he walked into the Holy of Holies, if he wasn't deemed worthy by God, he dropped dead. And they needed a way to get him out. (laughs) Because if he wasn't worthy and he was the high priest, no one else can go in there and there's going to be bodies piling up in there. And nobody wants that in the Holy of Holies. So they tied the rope around his leg so if he dropped dead, they could drag him back out. And that's how the Israelites used to enter the presence of God. That's pretty exciting. This is completely adverse to us now. In view of what Christ has done, there is no reason that all believers should not approach with confidence. The presence of God is wide open to each and every one of us who has accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Now, when I think about this idea of being wide open, I think about parallel parking. (laughs) So when I met my lovely bride, Andrea, she had moved here from Southern California. And to say that people in Southern California don't parallel park really well, well, that's, maybe that was just her. But 
She didn't have to do it much. Let's just be honest. There's valet parking almost everywhere, or there's 10-story parking ramps. You can just pull in. She didn't have to do much parallel parking in Southern California. When she moved to Iowa and she met me, and I lived in an apartment downtown on Story Street, and the only parking is parallel, she had to learn. So she would call me, and she'd be like, hey, I'm at Come and Go. Can I pick you up anything? I'd be like, yeah, sure. Grab me a soda. Grab me this. Grab, for my roommate, grab him this stuff too. And we'd, okay, he's only a couple blocks away. We'll see her real soon. And we'd wait. And we'd wait. And I'd start to get worried. And I'm like, it's like four blocks. It's been like 30 minutes. I'd call her, and she wouldn't answer. I'm like, where? So we'd look out, and we could see her. doing victory laps around our apartment. <laughs> she was waiting for two or even three. If she could find three spots open, whew, that was a happy day for her. But she would just drive and drive and drive until she could find two or three spots open. She could pull right in. She is much better now. I will give her that. Maybe it's because we bought her a car with a backup cam on it and she doesn't have to think about it. But The old way of entering the presence of God is like parallel parking. Some people aren't very good at it. Some people can't do it at all. And even if you can say that you're a good parallel parker, it's harder than normal. That's what it was like to enter the presence of God. Some people couldn't do it at all. And even the one that was supposed to, sometimes he dropped dead. The way we can now enter the presence of God is like going to Dutch Oven Bakery at 5 a.m. Who goes to Dutch Oven at 5 a.m.? Yeah, yeah, we got a couple. Amen for you guys. So I'll tell you, for the rest of you, it's the best coffee, the best donuts, the freshest, and nobody's there. And so when you go down Story Street and you're driving along, every single parking spot is wide open. You can just pull into the parallel and just drive all the way down, right in the parking just pull right up out front. It is wide open, just like the presence of God to us nowadays. Warren Wearsby states that on the basis of the assurance that Hebrews gives us, we have the boldness to enter the very presence of God because we have a living priest. We have an open invitation to enter the presence of God. If we have been given this opportunity to walk right into the presence of God, it means that he wants to connect with us. That's what he's saying. I've given you this. Connect with me. Through his word, through prayer, through worship, all the things that a lot of us have heard over and over again, these ideas are not just what we do to be good Christians. They're our direct lifeline in our vertical relationship with God. We are a culture that is increasingly connected to technology. We have the ability to FaceTime people all the way around the world. And we have unlimited information and unlimited data at our fingertips. But at the same time, we're becoming less and less connected to God. The idea of sitting still in the silence, in the presence of God, and waiting for him to speak to us in that still silence. It gives me anxiety just thinking about it, just sitting still. We expect God to send us an instant message with his whole plan laid out. Yet God, over and over again, he uses agricultural terms to relate to his work and his timing. 
John 15, 5 says, Jesus tells us to abide in him. And he refers to himself as the branch and we are the vine. Abide means to remain. To just sit and be still. I don't know about you, but that idea of abiding and remaining, that doesn't sound like an instant message. It's slow. If you want to connect with God, then you have to slow down and wait. So that's the vertical relationship. But Jesus says that the, great, the second greatest commandment is like it. He's connecting the two. We can't connect with people the way God intended for us to if we aren't connecting with God first. What is the purpose of reaching out to your neighbor or your coworker if you're just a jerk anyway? The second half of the passage in Hebrews shows us how we can connect with each other. Verse 24 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day, of, the day drawing near. Some of you have probably heard sermons on this passage, and you've heard it used as the key verse to make you feel bad for not coming to church for whatever reason. And that is what this verse is talking about meeting together as Christians. But it's also so much more than just simply go to church. That is not the end of it. Like I said, the, the world around us has become more and more individualistic. We feel like we are connecting to everyone through our devices, when in reality, we're connecting to nobody. We have Snapchat and Facebook and Messenger and Instagram and Twitter and FaceTime and Skype and LinkedIn and Zoom and can go on and on. I'm amazed by all the things that are out there nowadays. As one pastor says, failure to understand our need for community shows that we've been more influenced by our culture than we may realize. For example, our high-tech environment reinforces isolation by enabling us to replace face-to-face human contact with emailing, texting, telecommuting, telebanking, shopping online, spending more time on social media than with friends in person, and even watching worship services online instead of attending them. Because of the pervasive influence of social media and other forms of technology, for the first time in history, personal interaction with one another has become practically unnecessary. And some of you are like, yeah, that's what I love the best about it. I don't have to talk to people. I can do everything I need to do without ever saying boo to somebody. He goes on to say, many people drive alone to places of employment, work on their own projects, drive back home, sit on the couch eating dinner, and spend the night watching TV alone. Church is no different for some. They may drive to church alone, fail to interact with others in the congregation, listen to the sermon, and then drive home alone or with just their family. And that's the extent of their church life until the next weekend. They don't reach out, relate to, or do life with with others. We as Christians are called to be in this world. We have been given the command to make disciples of all the earth. We come to church to stir up one another in love and good works. That's what it says. The interesting thing is to note that the emphasis is not on what you all are getting from the service, from the meeting. It's what you're giving, what you're contributing. We're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks, contributing. But that's the purpose of the meeting together, is to contribute. Hebrews 3 
verses 12 through 14, just a couple pages over. If you are still in Hebrews, you want to flip over with me. It says, take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm till the end. Exhorting, encouraging, love and good works, that is the purpose of Christian community. I get it though. Some of you are a little shy. You're a little, little introverted. Maybe you're a lot of introverted. That's okay. Being an introvert or shy is not an excuse for you to not have community with others. Trust me, I know that I'm not everyone's cup of tea. <laughs> I once had a guy tell me, I, you know, I just don't know about you. You're kind of loud and you're really intense. I'm like, yeah, fair. That's... I used to get my feelings hurt when students would visit youth group and never come back. I would take it personally. It was personal. I can be loud and extremely extroverted. I will connect with a certain kind of person. But those of you who are different than me have the ability to to reach out to a community of believers and non-believers that will always keep me at arm's length. They're always going to say, I don't know about that guy. He's, He's really intense. There's a world to connect to out there. It doesn't have to be a 14-person connection group. It can be a one-on-one coffee. Just connect with somebody. We connect with each other to grow, to learn from one another, to attempt to have the community that God intended for us in the Garden of Eden. So how do we here at Stonebridge connect? Well, obviously, you all are here this morning, and that's awesome. But if this is the only community community and the only connection you are getting with the body of Christ, you are truly missing out. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 is telling us that it is in the context of meaningful relationship, brothers and sisters who love you and want to come alongside you. That is where we grow as disciples of Christ. Now, I This is not meant to be a sermon on Stonebridge Connection Groups. We're not just trying to get you all to check off the box on your Christian to-do list. Yep, I got that one done. Moving on. What's next? The Bible calls us to a gospel-centered community, a lifestyle where we are surrounded by believers, believing brothers and sisters in Christ with the sole purpose of pursuing Christ-likeness so that an unbelieving world might get to know him. We come together as community, and we stir each other and spur each other on so that the world around us might see it. Now, you heard Mick talking about connection groups. Connection groups, if you are new here, maybe in your other church or somewhere else you've been, you've heard things called like small groups or anything like that. It's just a group of smaller group of believers that get together on a weekly basis, talk about life, pray with each other. Some of them eat together. Mine's going to eat with people because I like to eat. We believe that those connection groups are the way to establish this kind of biblical community. And our connection groups, as we're talking about the three C's and the values of the church, even our connection groups have their own values. So one, we want them to be, we pray that they are a God-honoring family. 
that they are authentic, that they know each other, that they're open with each other, that they're real and raw and transparent and honest. This is not a place to come on and put on your, your Christian face, your happy face, and pretend like everything's okay. This is the place to be real. We pray that they are an encouragement, that they instill courage in the people around you to do the things that you need to do to bear each other's burdens. Now, this is definitely giving people biblical encouragement and pointing them to God's word and the truths that are there so they can pursue Jesus more and more. That is one encouragement. But it's also relational encouragement. It's helping parents know that they are not total failures when their five-year-old is screaming and breaking things and throwing, th- throwing things through the house and just going AWOL. You're not a failure. Trust me, we're all there. And it's to help husbands and wives know that you guys are not failures either. Yeah, we screw up too. We all screw up. We're all pursuing Christ-likeness. That's what encouragement is. Connection groups are a place for accountability. Accountability is a relationship for you to be vulnerable and open and for the people that you love to remind you of the truths of the Bible so that we can live by them. Our connection groups are meant to be unity. The gospel unifies us as a church. No other thing can unify us like the gospel. Yes, you can have unity around the fact that you have kids or you don't have kids. Whatever stage you're at in life, what your job may be, all those things can bring unity. But the gospel unifies us to one another in a way that no one could ever imagine. It unified tax collectors, Pharisees, whores, and fishermen. It can unite anything that you are bringing to the table. Another value of our youth or of our connection group is that it is an application of the word. We as Christians know that we should be applying the word of God to our lives. And I'm sure some of you have gone to churches where the, the pastors have 12-point sermons and 10 of them are all application points. That's okay. That's one way of preaching. It's not necessarily wrong. It's just we at Stonebridge here, we don't believe in giving you long application points from the stage. We want you to experience the love and the beauty of Jesus while you're here. And then when you leave, for you to apply it to you and the community that you are with. Our connection groups, we pray, are an avenue for service. This is meant to help you to know the love of Jesus through serving. We can come here all day long and hear messages, but if we are not serving, we're missing out again. And the purpose is this, so that the community around us would come to know the love of Jesus through our acts of service. And again, I can stand up here all day long and every week and tell you about all the needs that this community has. We can stand up here and tell you everything that's going on in the community. We can load up cars and drive a bunch of rakes and drive across town and rake a bunch of random people's yards. And that's good, But what happens at the end of the day? We walk away, we're patting each other on the back and shaking each other's hands. Good job, buddy. Yeah, you're good too. If the people that we're serving don't actually come to know Jesus, what is the purpose? So you as connection groups around town, you know the real needs of the people in the community around you. And then you have the opportunity to take that service and put it into words and put it into the gospel. Lastly, we pray that our connection groups are growth. They have growth. 
Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is known as the, the Great Commission. It says, go therefore and make disciples of the whole world, teaching them all that I have taught you. Connection groups give us a chance to invite people into what we have experienced so that they can feel all these values in a, a loving, encouraging community of friends. We need to get out of our holy huddles and reach out to those around us. The greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. What if God meant to love your actual neighbor, the people living around you? Well, pastor, you don't know my neighbor. No, I think I do know your neighbor. We all have them. God wants you to love your neighbor, your coworkers, your family, even the messy ones, especially the messy ones. Disciples make disciples. There has to be people that come to know Jesus through us. We are all making disciples of someone. The question is, who are you truly making a disciple of? Now, like I said, this is not just meant to be a sermon to get you in a connection group. It's not meant to just pad our numbers. We feel that Connecting as a church, as a family of believers here at Stonebridge is, is vitally important for the growth of each and every one of us and that it provides an avenue for outreach into the lives of many people in this community that either don't know Jesus or they're just unsure what a real church may look like. We pray that our connection groups are a, a glimpse into the loving family that God offers us through following Jesus. At this time, just so everyone can kind of get an idea, I'd like to have all of our connection group leaders and wives stand up, please. Now, as you are looking around at the people who are standing, these are the people who are saying that we believe in this vision. We, we love this idea of connection group. These are people that have most likely grown from a connection group in some way, seen the value of it in their own life. And they say, we buy into this, these values and we see how vitally important it has been for our lives as well as the community around us. We have connection groups that meet at many different times, many different places, with many different types of leaders. Some of them like me, some of them not like me, and that's a good thing. We want, you to, help, we want to help you find a group to connect with so that you can grow in your walk with Jesus. You guys can go ahead and sit down now. You may have noticed a table out front as you walked in. We want you guys to take a minute. Here comes my youth ministry awkward silence time where I just stand here and stare at you all. We want to give you guys a chance to get connected in a connection group. So if you are interested in just getting more information about one of those, we want you to fill out that bottom section of your bulletin. Yep, there, Shane's holding it up. The bottom part tears off. And so you can just put your name and your phone number on it. And we want you to take that time. I'm going to just hang out for a second, just talk randomly while you guys are filling that out. Really pray about what it is. And by, by writing your name on there, that is not locking you into anything. You are not saying, yes, I am in 100%. All you're saying by writing on this is that you are interested in being contacted by one of our many connection group 
leaders. And then as you go out, you will see the boxes out there that coincide with the times and the dates that we meet. We have Sunday evening, Sunday after lunch, uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. And so find a box that fits your schedule and drop it in there. And maybe if there's not a box that fits your schedule, just give it to Matt or I. And we'll see if we can work out something else. So I'm just going to give you just a, a few seconds. Just all it simply takes is just your name, your phone number, that you are interested in the connection group so that you can feel that loving community that many of us have tasted. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us and pray for our connection group leaders and pray for our worship. And Shane will come up and lead us out with one more song. Father God, I thank you for, I thank you for the great commandment. I thank you that you desire to have a relationship with each and every one of us and that you desire us to be in relationship and connection with each other. We thank you for the community of believers that are here at Stonebridge and that they give us an avenue to reach out into a world that needs to see a glimpse of your loving relationship. I pray for each and every one of our connection group leaders that they will just have boldness to speak truth when they need to, to just be encouraging and loving, to be an application of the word that they, that they can see the needs for service in the neighborhoods around them and that they can grow, not just growing one another in their individual walks with Jesus, but growing numerically into this world, helping others to get connected in these communities. Thank you for this day, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.